0: on today's episode.
1: It's a really powerful thing for me to think about how words move in the world. And when someone comes to me and says, oh, I read this poem, I was on a park bench in Spain, and I was missing this person, and this poem made me remember to reach out to my family, or that I wasn't alone, or, you know, you think, how how did that happen? Yeah, I just wrote this small poem for myself, maybe for a few friends, and then it traveled all that way. And so I think for me, one of the biggest things that poetry can do is remind us that we're not alone and that we have a community we can lean on, even if we feel alone at that very moment.
0: I'm your host, Greg Fenbus. Stay tuned. This is one big question. Ada Limon is the poet laureate of the United States and the author of six books of poetry, which earned her many prestigious awards, including the national book Critics circle award for poetry and a Guggenheim fellowship. Her poetry is extraordinary, vividly exploring the majesty of the natural world, the frailty of human memory and relationships, the destruction wrought by modern society, love, joy, humor, pain, awe, and a million other ethereal qualities with startling lyrical strength. In the poem, Miracle Fish, from her collection, Bright Dead Things, Lamone writes, think of how far a voice must have to travel to go beyond the universe, how powerful that voice must be to get there. Ada Limon is one of the most powerful voices in contemporary poetry. And though we haven't figured out how to transcend the known universe with language yet, Ada is doing the next best thing. In collaboration with NASA and the Library of Congress, she has written a poem that will be etched on the Europa Clipper, a spacecraft that will travel 1.8 billion miles from Earth to the Jupiter system. She is here with us at Emory at our Stuart A. Rose Manuscript Archives and Rare Book Library and she will be giving a reading and participate in our 12th Night Revel. Ada, welcome to Emory. You've said that poetry is elemental, necessary, and deeply human. In a world that continues to be transformed by technology, as well as an ever-growing glut of media, entertainment, and I'm sure that dreaded word for you, content, (laughs) what role does poetry have in society today? and what can poetry do that nothing else can?
1: I love this question. Um, I think for me, one of the things that poetry can do is make space for deeper questioning and make space for mysteries. I feel like so oftentimes when we are reading prose, we're looking for answers, we're looking for wisdom. And poetry allows us to exist in an ethereal space in something that resembles more like a human life, something complex, sometimes chaotic, sometimes tender, sometimes painful. Um, but all of those things can exist in poetry, and it resists that um, summing up, that tidiness that sometimes prose can often lean towards.
0: But so many people are, are using social media to get that easy answer, yeah. that tidy solution. How, yeah. do you, how do you help open up their minds that the, the world is, is not that
1: way? Yeah, one of the things that I find sort of frustrating about social media is, and I'm sure most people feel this way, is that it's actually an incredibly useful tool if it is used for good. And my favorite way to use it is to just share poems. And it's amazing to watch one poem travel and, you know, here you suddenly want to share a poem by Lucille Clifton and then the next day it's everywhere. And that feels like such a delightful use of such a strange and sometimes maniacal tool.
0: That's very powerful. Now, talking about that, everyone is, is talking about CHAT-GPT, the latest artificial intelligence technology, which, if you've played around with it, uh, can generate what seems to be natural language, whole sentences, essays, and they say even poetry, although I haven't tried that. This is both excited but also rattled many people, leading many to question the work we do, and especially here at universities like Emory, higher ed the way we educate and evaluate our students. So I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, what are your thoughts about ChatGPT?
1: You know, it's fascinating to me because I, I'll admit that I haven't played around with it that much myself, but I do know a couple of poets that have sort of attempted to see if it could write poems. And what has come out doesn't seem like poetry, no matter how you look at it. And I think what you just said in that wonderful question about its use of sentences is actually the issue when it comes to poetry because poets don't work in sentences. We work in the very smallest unit. First we work in sound, and then we work in the syllable, and then we work in the word, and then we work in the clause, and then we work in the line. And it takes a long time for the unit of the sentence to even appear in a poem might be the whole poem could be a sentence. Um, And so I think right now, at least, I'm not seeing anything that is honoring the breath and power of a line break. And for me, I think it's so interesting because I think that's saying a lot about poetry. Because what does it mean that there has to have this sort of beating heart humanity behind it? It has to have human breath behind it. It has to have the body. Um, And so I think that part of it uh, is really interesting because it makes us question, what is it that makes a poem?
0: So I'm sure when you teach poetry, you're not going to be too worried if your students are using ChatGPT to to write their poems.
1: I have a feeling I could spot it right (laughs) away.
0: So let me uh, change the subject. You grew up in Sonoma, California, which is very close to where my wife's family lived in Petaluma, just over the hills. But you write about Sonoma County in your poetry, specifically the beautiful landscape of that county, which I'm very familiar with myself. And if you don't mind, in your poem Salvage, from your latest book, The Hurting Kind, you write what to me read as an apology to a scorched tree for being reckless with its life. Can you Tell us a little bit more about the meaning of that remarkable poem and, and the way your work addresses climate change, including your ebook Shelter, A Love Letter to Trees.
1: I did. I wrote Salvage, the poem, um, while I was staying in the Mayakamas it's in Moon Mountain uh, in Sonoma. And it was right after the fires of two th- 2017, which I'm sure you remember well. And so much of those mountains where I have spent a lot of my life, where I got married, where um, I still have a small home there. And um, it was, you know, saved on both sides by brave firemen. And it came so close to destroying that property. And so much of the natural landscape was scorched and burned. And it was so hard to not grieve and almost to the point of inaction, right? Which sometimes I feel like happens when you're grieving, you feel like I'm just going to give up. And it really, for me, made clear that the climate crisis is at our door and that every day we are going to be handling it in some new way with some new happening, some new weather event, some new, you know, um, tragedy that we have to face. And I'm hoping that in writing poems that address it with some kind of human component, (laughs) that people won't be scared to talk about it and also maybe do some grieving because I think it hurts to talk about, it hurts to handle and it's overwhelming, especially for young people. And I think um, if we can address it with some tenderness and some room and some equanimity, for grief, I think it'll be easier to discuss and hopefully take action.
0: Well, it's just uh, fascinating what you said, that uh, your poetry helped you not feel like you've given up Mm -hmm. and feel helpless.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I'm always thinking about writing myself back into the world. And I really believe that um, the act of writing You know, there's this wonderful quote by Richard Hugo that says, um, writing is a way of saying you and the world have a chance. And I come back to that all the time because it is my way of saying yes, yes to this life, yes to this world, um, in all its complexities, you know, in all its beauty and in all of its uh, tragedy. And I feel like it's some place that I can... Put everything down um, and not have to hold it, not have to carry it all the time. So for me, it's been a, a lifeline. And I hope for people who, even if they just write drafts or private poems, if you will, um, that they might experiment with what it is to write a poem as a way of writing yourself back into the world.
0: So for you, as, a, as an accomplished poet, poetry has helped you think about, address climate change, and specifically your, your, your home. What other challenges facing society in the world has, has your poetry helped you, and by the way, many others uh, understand?
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful thing for me to think about how words move in the world. And when someone comes to me and says, oh, I read this poem, I was on a park bench in Spain, and I was missing this person, and this poem made me remember to reach out to my family, or that I wasn't alone, or, you know, you think, how does how did that happen? You know, I just wrote this small poem for myself, maybe for a few friends, and then it traveled all that way. Um... And so I think for me, one of the biggest things that poetry can do is remind us that we're not alone. I think it's very easy to think, oh, everything that's happening to me is only happening to me. The world is only happening to me. The world is sometimes against me. Um, and then you read a poem and you're reminded that so many people are going through so much. And that sense of isolation begins to dissolve to remember that we're in community that we're not the first person to go through it and you know, we're not the first, we're not the last. And I think that's an essential component to remind us that we are not alone and that we have a community we can lean on um, even if we feel alone at that very moment.
0: What is it like in this in this new position for you? What is it like being the U.S. Poet Laureate?
1: I you can't um, those of you who are listening you can't see me but I'm smiling because every time someone says I'm the Poet Laureate I'm like who me? Yeah it's it's been really wild you know I had my inaugural reading in September at the Library of Congress and since then I've been to the White House four times <laughs> and not something that I would have expected in my lifetime. And I have traveled different places all over to speak to the power of poetry. And it's such a delight because, you know, when Dr. Carla Hayden asked me to be the 24th Poet Laureate, I had this moment of thinking, there's nothing I would rather do than preach the power of poetry. I really believe it with my whole body and soul that it's important, that it's useful, that it can help us. And I think we need help, (laughs) I think we need breath. I think we need a moment of ease, I think we need beauty, I think we need awe, we need wonder and so I hope that I've stepped into this role with a little bit of grace and it's been it's been really it's been really moving, really moving to see how many people come out to actually experience poetry and how people have been brought together by it
0: so as poet laureate you're I understand you're collaborating with NASA on a what sounds like an incredible project that evokes a almost mystical ambition and wonder about our place in the universe that uh, hasn't been seen probably since the the Voyager days in the 1970s which first explored our solar system and beyond. So tell us how you got involved with NASA and the Europa Clipper mission and what are what are your hopes for it?
1: I actually was just at the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, in California, and uh, got to see the Europa Clipper being built in the clean room, and the amount of work and energy and manpower it takes to build these incredible, spa- you know, this imp- incredible spacecraft that will go to Europa, which is the second moon of Jupiter, an icy moon. Um, They asked me in, uh, I think it was October. It was October. They reached out and asked if I would write a poem uh, that would be part of this mission, and it was for me one of those very surreal moments. You you know, I left my body and uh, had to come back, and I thought, okay, what, what? We say that again, and we had a Zoom with some of the the chief engineers, and when I was out there, I met the lead scientist and the lead uh, project manager, and got to talk about the mission itself. And it's really a remarkable thing because Europa is an icy water moon and what they're gonna be able to do is find out if it contains the ingredients for life. And so I was tasked to write a poem that will be engraved on the spacecraft And then, you know, it'll take six years for it to finally get to Europa. And um, it was maybe the hardest writing prompt I've ever had in my life. Because, you know, when you sit down to write, oftentimes you're engaging with the idea of audience. But you're also kind of trying to shut the audience off a little bit so that you can be intimate, you can be vulnerable with the page. This was a little harder because all I kept thinking was, well, this is going to space (laughs) and there's going to be a lot of people who read this poem um and I was really lucky that I have a marvelous partner um, my husband who after my 19th draft said I think you're writing a NASA poem and you need to just write a poem that you like write a poem for you keep it you know uh, in, in the same integrity that you bring to the page with every other poem you write, make sure it's a poem you like, um, and so that's what I'm doing, and um, I'm very very excited about it. So um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a thrill of a lifetime.
0: So after exploring uh, our solar system, what's uh, what do you th- what's next for you creatively? Uh, anything you can? Uh, Tell our listeners here at Emory and Beyond about uh, your next project.
1: Yeah. um, First, uh, I am working on a national poetry project right now um, that I'm hoping to be able to announce um, somewhat soon. And uh, that's been great because I'm collaborating, of course, with the Library of Congress and um, a great team there. And we're trying to create something that would, you know, effectively reach a lot of people and engage people with poetry. And then um, personally, I'm also working on an anthology of animal poems called Beast. So I'm collecting animal poems um, from all sorts of wonderful writers and putting them together. And then lastly, I am working on a new and selected um, that uh, is always difficult because it's one thing to collect all your poems, but it's another thing to select them. And I'm um, having trouble choosing between them because they're my life and evidence of my life. So, um, but yeah, that's those are the three things that I'm working on now.
0: Okay, well, I know we're all looking forward to who your most beautiful children, your most beautiful poems are that uh-huh. are, are most meaningful.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a hard choice. So, yeah, thank you.
0: Well, Ada Lamone, thank you for, for joining us today.
1: Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.